Um, If you'll stand with me, we'll read together in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and the removal of the body of the flesh from the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Father, we thank you for what Christ and who Christ is. We thank you that in him we have a remedy, a prescription against error. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom this morning, that we would think deeply about your word, think deeply about who you are so that we would not be led astray. We thank you, Father, that you are a gracious God who loves us. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me words to speak this morning, that your light would pour forth from your word to our eyes and our hearts, Lord, that it would transform us, that it would not just be good words, but that they would be transformative to our lives today, tomorrow, and every day after. Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear and apply your word. Lord, I pray that you would be with our children. Help them, Lord, to even hear your words. Lord, open their eyes to the truth of the gospel, of who Jesus is. Give them ears to hear. Cause the soil of their hearts to be ready to receive your seed, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to guide the parents and grandparents here as we seek to see them come to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Many of us... I think last week would have been greatly encouraged. I know I was, as well as convicted, because in Christ we have all that we need. It's amazing what two verses can proclaim. And honestly, if I were really wanting to, I could break this passage that we're preaching all this morning into four sermons. But we might not get through Colossians in my lifetime, so we should probably 
uh, not go so slow. But there is so much in this section of Colossians chapter 2 that I would highly encourage us as believers not just to hear the word today, but to continue to go back and, and read through and, and understand what Paul is saying here. Because Paul is not seeking to give us just nice things to hear. He actually wants us to, to walk in the power of Christ. He wants us to know what it is like to serve the one true God. And so he begins in verse 8, after he gives us that statement, and I'll reread it since it's so small, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him, established in your faith just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. He begins, verse 8, he says, See to it. This is a, an imperative statement for us. See to it, brothers and sisters. See to it, S-E-A. See to it that no one takes you captive. This is very interesting. Because Christ brought them out of captivity to sin. Romans. Right? All we got to do is read Paul in the book of Romans and see what captivity sin brings in our life. So God, through Christ, has delivered the, the people of Colossae and us from captivity. So He's warning them, don't let someone take you back into captivity. They don't care about you. They just want to chain you to their system of religion. They don't want you to be servants of the Most High God. They don't want you to surrender yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They want you to submit to the Lordship of Brother S or Brother C or whomever. They want you to espouse what they believe, and if you don't, they will be canceling you. <laughs> Isn't that how our world lives? If you disagree with me, I can't even talk to you anymore. That's one, unchristian. And secondly, how many people do we know who have that mentality who are embracing error today? Because they're unwilling to listen to someone they disagree with. I'm not saying that everyone you disagree with is walking in light. I'm not saying that. But if as Christians we are unable to be confronted about what we believe and stand up for it, then maybe what we believe is not really that strongly rooted in our hearts. But this is where he starts. Do not let others take you captive. Don't let them put you in a cell and tell you, how to live. Now, what's he talking about? Well, he says, through, the, how does this happen? Through philosophy and empty deception. So is philosophy bad? Technically, what's, what's this word? We talked about this on the first sermon in this series. 
Philosophy is Greek for love of wisdom. Is that bad? No. But Paul is using this word. This word is the, this is the only time that this word is used in the Bible. Or it's only used by Paul in the Bible. And this word was kind of a, 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 a word that Gnostics loved. Like that was their, I'm, I'm studying philosophy. I'm, well, we know people like that, right? Many of which are no longer walking with God. I was re- I've been reading a a biography, and in the biography they were talking about A. H. Strong. I don't know if you remember who he is, but he had he wrote a uh, theology, a systematic theology, and he was a Baptist theologian in um, New York area. And he trained his son very well. I mean, just trained him to be a theologian and a pastor. Strong was actually used by um, many in our group as a theology book. But unfortunately, his son began to embrace philosophy. And by the time he was married to John D. Rockefeller's daughter, he was agnostic. Because he had embraced the wisdom of this world over the wisdom of God. See, this is the problem. Many in the church love wisdom, but the wrong kind. Their wisdom is not of this world. Their, their love is for the wisdom that comes from man instead of the wisdom that comes from God. Because if it is not from God, it is foolishness. And that's what it was for Charles Strong. He loved wisdom, but the wrong kind. And so we must be careful as Christians to not espouse as wisdom that which comes from the world and, and to discern whether this is of God or of man. Now, how, how could I tell if wisdom is of God or not? We have His Word. A number one resource. And secondly, we have His Holy Spirit. He'd give you a check. That. A lot of that sounds good, but there's something missing there. Have you ever had that happen? I have. You'll, you'll be listening maybe to a, a sermon or, or a song. Never happens when I listen to songs. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but you'll be listening to something and, and suddenly you hear a word and you're like, wait, why did they use that word? There's like ten other words that describe that could be used, but why that particular word? What are they trying to say? And so as Christians, we need to be discerning, because if we are not discerning, we will be taken captive. It is so easy. Secondly, he says, and empty tradition. It's these two things together. What is tradition? Have you th- or empty deception, sorry. It's deception that has no value. I was 
reading another biography, a really long one. If you have 40-something hours and read it double time, <laughs> the biography of Grant. And in, in his lifetime, Grant was a great military leader, but he was a terrible judge of character. Terrible, except militarily. Militarily, he, he knew who were good leaders. But when it came to business decisions, Grant was terrible. There were multiple times in his life when he was deceived by false and empty ways. And it was interesting, near the end of his life, he had a young man who acted like his son and had this scheme where he was taking money that was being given to him to invest, and then he was giving it to his previous investors as though they were making a profit and making it look like he was making hand-over-fist money. But in reality, he was robbing Peter to pay Paul, as the expression goes. That's actually what he said in his court trial. And all this time, it seemed like they were making money, and, and so Grant and his friends and all these people were just giving, like, this is a great investment. Let's keep putting money in. And what's he doing? This young man is, is just living the high life. The problem was that deception was so empty that eventually the cards had to be called. And he disappeared. The bank foreclosed. The bank actually closed. And Grant and all his friends were like, where did this guy go? Eventually they found him. He went to court and was tried. But it shows, this story shows us the result of empty deception. It will always lead to fall. It will always lead to destruction. But this is how people take you captive. They take you captive between these two ways. Making you think that their wisdom is the wisdom of God and by deceiving you with false information. And they do this according to the tradition of men. What is something that is tradition? It's something passed down from generation to generation to generation. So they make this philosophy and this empty deception look like something that has been passed down and is very historically based. It's a very interesting thought. The politicians do it. You know, they, they twist history to look favorably on their way of fixing the United States. And this goes both left and right. But both of them miss the truth. Jesus is the answer. 
Without Christ, it doesn't matter what you do in this country, but corruption will continue to grow. It doesn't matter which party is in power. Throughout history, that's one thing in these two biographies that I've been reading, corruption started almost instantly with the foundation of the United States. I'll give you some money so that you can do this. Backdoor deals and hidden things. The only difference between the United States and countries like in Central America that I've been at is they applaud. Everyone knows there's corruption going on and you can see it right in front of your eyes. The difference is that here we hide it. And we think no one knows what is going on. But that is the thing. The world tries to disguise their, their wisdom as wisdom and their, their deception as true through the, the, the view. or It's like you're looking through a lens of, of history. Well, see, see this historical situation and this and this and this. And that's why this wisdom is so powerful. That's how the argument goes. But Jesus, through Paul, is saying, No, this is not truth. This is empty. And this is not what God has called us to. He goes on, he says, according to the elementary principles of the world. You know what this elementary idea in Greek is? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. They're trying to make it so dumbed down that you just can't help but believe it. Well, this is, duh, obvious. That's how they, they portray this. These two things. They seek to draw you in to their wisdom and their, 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 their truth by making it sound historically and traditional in some way and by turning to your elemental. Guess what they're trying to do? They're trying to create immature children. What do they say? Well, even children would understand this. Have you ever heard that argument before? My children understand that um, you can be male, female, uh, whatever you want to be. Yeah, really? You sure you didn't indoctrinate them? (laughs) This is so easy to understand, even for a child. You know why? Because children are susceptible to whatever we teach them. May not feel like it sometimes as parents, <laughs> but they are learning. But the world wants us to assume that because it's easy to understand, that it's true. There is a truth to the fact that Christ is. Elemental in some ways to us. But 
That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the elementary principles, the, the elementary rules at which our world revolves and works. So all of their wisdom and, and, and truth, empty deception, all of this is funneled to the believers of these through tradition and elementary principles. Not separate. It's both combined. But it's according to the tradition of men and according to the elementary principles of the world. It's all about the world and men. It's not according to Christ. This is the thing that Paul has such an issue with is all of this deception that is going on in Colossae and unshockingly today in our world is all being threaded through well this is what men do this is this is elemental why why do you need a rediscovery of this it's all about what man thinks and what the world does and paul is saying no it is not according to christ christ is revolutionary in the world. Christ is at odds with the tradition of men. Christ is at odds with the elementary principles of the world, that which drives our world. Guess what it is? Sin. That is the elementary principle. Sin will ruin. But... Paul is saying, you want a remedy? You want a prescription against error? Get Christ. You will only find it in Christ. So my title this morning is A Prescription Against Error. A Prescription Against Error. We must view everything we receive, all information that comes to us, through Christ. He must be the means by which we discern whether something is of God or of man. Because this is the problem. The Gnostics are claiming that this will lead men closer to God, but in reality, everything is coming from men and the world's way of thinking. So Christ Himself. Now, how in the world can Christ be the solution? How does He guard us against Error. How does he become a prescription against error? Well, let's look in verse 9. For in him... This sounds really familiar. Did, did we see a lot of in him uh, last time? We did. Right? 
walk in Him, built up in Him, rooted and firmly rooted in Him, established in Him. It is in Christ. And so he says, For in Him, Jesus Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now this is a direct refute to this idea of emanations. We talked about this the first week and we've mentioned it throughout. But this idea that God would have to de-divine Himself, like become less God to become a to have a relationship with men. No, God came in Christ, he says, the fullness, not a partial part of God, the fullness of God dwells in him in bodily form. Paul is, you know, technically bodily form would not need to be here. Technically because it's understood from the context that that's what he means. But Paul is being very purposeful that bodily is included in this text. Because that's what they're trying to deny. They're trying to say that God could never come in the form of man. God would have to emanate, and that's why they worship angels. That's where angelology and angel worship comes from. And so he's saying... In Him, this, this is, I don't know if we truly understand the magnitude of this. For in Him, all the fullness of deity dwells. Every attribute of God dwells in Christ. Now, what does it say? He was obedient unto death. He didn't hold on to so there are certain aspects of God's character that Paul, that Jesus, when he came in bodily form, he could no longer be omnipresent, right? He didn't send his hand over here and his, his head over there and his, his chest over somewhere else and um, his legs and his feet. No, but he, he was in physical form. So there's a part of being a human being that restricts the character of God, in a sense. A body can't be everywhere unless it's cut up. At that point, it's no longer alive. So, Jesus, in Christ, all the fullness of God dwells. This is why it's so important to be in Him. Right? Because He is God in the flesh. This is why we need His Spirit in us. In Him. Not in the Gnostic belief. Not in aesthetic practices. But in Christ. That is where the victory lies. Because if Christ is the fullness of God in the flesh, why in the world would you believe this trash that they're spewing? Why would you worship angels? Why would you think that the only way to God is by afflicting your body? If Christ truly is God in the flesh. That's why He's a remedy. 
This is why we must soak upon this thought. We must remember who God is, how He describes Himself. That's why I love Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy. It's a really good book for any age and time of walk with God. Because he, he brings out the beauty of God. The beauty of God's character. And when we're reading that, those, those characteristics of God, we can think, well, that's in Christ. It's not different. They're one. They're a triune oneness. Isn't that incredible? That in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells. Like Hebrews says, He is the image of the invisible God. So Christ takes and is the prescription, the lordship, the kingship of Christ. Christ the God-man. He is the prescription. And you're saying, well, how does that help me? Great, Christ is good, but how in the world does that help me? Well, what does verse 10 say? And in Him you have been made complete. This word complete can be translated perfect. Full, whole. But it's only in Him. This goes back to last week. You want the victory? In Christ. You want to overcome? It's in Christ. If you want to have hope and peace, it's only going to be found in Christ. It's not going to be found out in the world. It's not going to be found in the tradition of men. It is only in Christ. This is why I, it irks me when Christians care more about politics than they care about their relationship to Jesus Christ. Because politics will save nothing. Yeah, it may make this world a little bit more comfortable. If the right politician is in power. But it's not going to prepare men and women to meet their maker. The gospel of Jesus Christ will. The Holy Spirit transforming lives will. Jesus is the one who completes us. You want to find yourself? Go to Him. Stop going to gender identity or all this other stuff. Jesus is the only way that we will be found complete. I don't know if this really is sinking in. Because this statement is extremely strong. Paul is saying that you and I, if we are in Christ, if we are believing that Christ is the Son of the living God, that He is God in the flesh, that when we are in Him, we are made complete, that means we don't need anything that we can go to Him and know that He hears us, know that He has everything that we need, it kind of changes the way we act. Or should. I mean, this, this verse convicts me. 
It convicts me because this verse is telling me that I don't need sin. I don't need the things that the devil tells me I need. I don't need that fruit that Adam and Eve partook of. I don't need that item or that picture or houses or cars, kind of the, the song we sang this morning. Jesus is everything we need. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. It's only cliche because people say that and then they turn around and turn to the world. Sorry, I'm, I know I'm sounding angry. It's not purposeful. One time somebody said, you just preach more angry than some people. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Thankfully that person was like, I don't like that. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you might be the only one. Um, but as Christ, if he makes us complete, why are we turning to other ways. That's what Paul's saying. You want to be free from error? Be in Christ. You won't, you won't be led astray. If Christ is everything, you don't need to go beat yourself up to try to make it to Him. Right, because Jesus said, I am finished. Or it is finished, sorry. But it's in Him. It's in Him. In Him. Do we really see ourselves complete in Christ? Are we looking to marriage? Do we try to find in our spouse what is only found in Christ? Do we try to find in our children what is only found in Christ? Do we try to find in our cars, our homes, our our money, our investments, our fame, what we should be finding in Christ? Is our business completing us like Christ should be? Is our reputation in the community completing us like Christ should be? Are we so worried about what men think that we can't actually be found complete in Christ because we don't want what Christ has? We don't want the reputation that comes with following Christ and being in Him at all times. God forbid we be labeled as Christians who witness to everyone we run into. This is convicting to me. Don't. If you're getting convicted, it's, it's just the same for me. Do I want to fit in and find completion some way in this world, so much so that I'm forgetting that I'm not in Christ? This is why the gospel and preaching it to our neighbors and our friends and the people we encounter every day is so important because they will never be complete if Christ is not Lord of their lives. I don't care what religion in this world claims to make you complete. No religion 
completes you. Relationship with Jesus Christ. Being in Him is the only means of being complete, being perfected. Because He is, see the end of verse 10, and He is the head over all rule and authority. He's not saying that Jesus is complete just because of something. He's giving us a specific reason. Well, there's two reasons. The fullness of God dwells in Him bodily. And secondly, He is the head over all, not some, all rule and authority. So, the president that so many in this country like to speak badly of, he's head over him. The head of any terrible country in the world, he's head over him or her. No matter what the situation, God is head over that person. Whether you like the leader or dislike the leader, God is head. Christ Himself is head. That should give us a great bit of hope. Even as we see our taxes rising. (laughs) You, You think, how could I be taxed in any other way? Well... They'll figure out something. But when we know that God is in control, that Christ Himself is head over all that's going on in our world, we can be complete. We can be at peace. Because we don't need to be afraid because we are complete in Him. We we don't have to have this, that, or the other. We have Christ. Christ. I can't think of a better way to be found complete. He didn't die for us because we deserved it. He died for us because He loved us. You say, well, how in the world can we be complete in Christ? Like, how is that possible? We're sinners. We're we're hopeless. Well, that's the second part of the sermon. The, the reason that Jesus has the power in our lives to make us complete is found starting in verse 11. Remember, he's talking to Gentiles. So keep that in mind. He says, and in him, man, there's so much in him. We could just do a sermon on in him. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Hmm. What does that sound like? Circumcision of the heart. A circumcision of the heart. That was what circumcision was always pointing to. Someone who is set apart for service to God. The outward 
experience of circumcision in the Old Testament was always pointing to these people are set apart as people of God. I know that may sound, well, that's not that big of a deal. It is a huge deal. To my knowledge, no one in here has Jewish ancestry. So, if God in Christ had not done this, we would have no relationship with Him. We'd have no entrance. The circumcision that the Old Testament circumcision pointed to was a circumcision of the heart. It was not made with hands. It is not a man-made. And this is a direct um, attack against Again, this, this idea in, of self-made or religion and self-abasement and severe treatment. We do not become servants of the Most High, become His people through man-made attempts. Again, Paul is attacking men. Why? Because men are in sin. And sin separates us from God. He goes on and says, A circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This circumcision of Christ is something radically different. It's not a man made thing. I think this is something we miss oftentimes. It's no longer external, right? The the Old Testament one was external. It's now internal. This doesn't just take a portion, it takes all Jesus requires a total circumcision of the heart. He wants every part of you. It is not a circumcision of Moses or the patriarchs anymore. It is the circumcision of Christ. I mean, we could spend a sermon just here. Really. I told you we could make it for a four-part sermon. I mean, we're hardly halfway through, and I'm already halfway through my time, so. <laughs> but this circumcision is radically different. It calls for wholehearted service to the Most High God. But we will only have it in Christ. It's not found in the tradition of men. It's not found in the way the world works. It's not found in the philosophy of this world. It is found in Christ. It is only in Christ. Verse 12, he continues, he says, Having been buried with him in baptism. 
in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So we have a circumcision and then we have a death. We have a funeral. That's what baptism proclaims. It proclaims a funeral and a resurrection. Or we could say a funeral and a new birth. That's the only birth that every church goes to. (laughs) A funeral. uh, A baptism. It's a depiction of us being raised from the dead. We're dead to self and we're alive in and through Christ. You see that picture? That's what Paul is really hammering home. Right? Because he says, you are raised up with... See, we have in Him and with Him throughout this, this, this section. You are raised up with Him through faith in the working of God. Not in, through faith in your own works, your own self-abasement and your own severe treatment of the body. Or your own wisdom. No. Through the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Who's, who's Him? Jesus. Why did God raise Him from the dead? You remember? Because He was perfect. Death had no hold on Him. He was the supreme Example of holiness. When he died and was risen from the dead, it proclaimed that death no longer was victorious. So when we're raised through the power of God, we are raised through the power of Christ in the same power. Christ is in us. That's why baptism is such a beautiful picture. That that idea of the body coming out of the water. It's like the day the tomb was shattered. The tomb, the, the rock was rolled away. Because we were dead already. Right? Paul says here in verse 13, When you were dead, why were we dead? In your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Right? We were sinners and we were uncircumcised. We weren't a part of the kingdom of God. We were not a part of His people. We were hopeless. When we were hopeless, what happened? This is why we are complete in Christ. He. Man, this is so much about Christ. I I mean, I would like to hear more about other things. I mean, we don't need that much of Christ, do we? Yes. I I know you're thinking, man, he's being awful sarcastic. Well, we need to be 
constantly reminded of how much we need to be found in Him. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive. You were dead, now you're alive. Together with Him. We need Him. If it weren't for Him, we would be spiritually dead. Every single one of us. There's no hope aside from Him. Have you been made alive? That's a question. We have to consider, have I been made alive or am I still living as though Christ is not my Savior? Because if Christ is not your source where you find completion, then eventually your marriage could fall apart. Your relationship to your family can fall apart. Everything you look to to find completion will fall apart. But if Christ is everything, it doesn't matter what else happens. Though our marriage should be strong. Because if we are found in Christ, our spouse will be like, man, I've got the best husband, the best wife. It's when we return to the flesh that our spouses don't like us, right? When we try to live in our own strength, in our own selfishness, that's when no one loves us. So He made us alive together with Him Having, how, how could He make us alive together with Him? Having forgiven us all our transgressions. That's a lot. Did you notice Paul said our? He's, he's lumping himself in there. Oh, come on, Paul. You weren't that bad. Yes, he was. All of us, our transgressions have been forgiven. And you keep saying, well, how did Jesus do that? Well, look at verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. This word translated certificate of debt is like a handwritten note. An IOU. If we were to write a sermon on this, it would be our debt or our our use to God. Right? Because the debt was owed to God. By the way, not Satan. I'm saying that. I know I've said that already before. The IOU is owed to God. I owe you everything. Because I refuse to serve you and I 
actively attempt to thwart your kingdom. That's a, that's a sinner. You say, well, I wasn't that bad. Yes, you were. Or maybe you're still in that state and you're thinking, I'm not that bad. Yes, you are. When we are in sin, we are actively seeking to destroy the kingdom of God. Why? Because we serve a different master. We're captive to sin. That's why Paul is saying, why do you want to go back? Why do you want to be captive to sin again? You are either in my kingdom or you're out of it. And if you're out of it, you're an enemy of God. Because you refuse to serve the Lord. We use this word canceled a lot now, right? You get canceled on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Cancel culture. Well, this is the kind of canceling I like. This is the kind of canceling we need. This is the kind of canceling that transforms people of all colors and it brings us together no matter where we came from. That doesn't mean that there weren't past things that we have to deal with, but in the end, we look to Christ. We are complete in Him. We don't need reparations to find completeness, to find justice, to find mercy. We don't need to go down 50 generations to figure out where it started with us. There's so much in our world today where, especially in the church, this idea that, well, if, if I... Um, if I find out where the source of my struggles are, then I can deal with it. Guess what? You can't blame your parents. You can't blame your grandparents. You are making a choice. Yes, there are consequences to our actions as parents. I'm not denying that. But eventually, we have made a decision in our lives that have affected the way we live. Just as our children will have to make decisions based on what they've been taught. But if we hold on to unforgiveness, guess what? That bitterness will eat you through. Christ canceled out the certificate of debt that we owed to God. And it consisted of decrees which was hostile to us. The debt we owed had a decree that said, annihilate him, destroy him, send him to hell for eternity. That's the wages of sin. It's death. Sin has a price. Slavery to sin pays in death. Have you ever thought about that? You know, we, we can work a 9-to-5 job and get our wages. Well, a 9-to-5 
our 24-7 job of sin will always lead to death. It's always the wage of sin. You can start tomorrow. You can start next week. But you'll all receive the same wages. Now how in the world did Jesus cancel our debt? How is it that the IOUs we owe to God are canceled? Well, it says, And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. It is His work on the cross that makes us complete if we believe. If we are found in Him, then the work on the cross guarantees our freedom from sin, our freedom from debt to God, and a life in Him. The problem is, many of us don't want to believe this. We're like the Gnostics who have heard about Christ. We like some things about Christ, but we want to add our own stuff to it. Paul is saying, you can't follow Jesus and follow the world. There's no middle ground. You can't straddle this fence. You're either on one side or the other. The incredible thing is he nailed it to the cross. He took our sin. He relieved us of our transgression, of our debt. He circumcised us. See, we have all these two, these two things. He, he, he dealt with both issues that kept us from relationship with God. Our uncircumcision of heart and our transgression. He dealt with both. And then this is what happens. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. It's a pretty interesting word, right? Disarmed. I think it's kind of interesting personally that he disarmed them. He made it possible that sin and death no longer has control. Satan and his demons have no right to a believer. We can open doors, obviously. We know people who've done that. You want to play around with the Ouija board? I guarantee you, you're going to open a door. No doubt about it. You want to play around with witchcraft? But when we are in Christ, when we are not playing around with the devil in his his realm anymore, it says that he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them. He had an exhibition. Look who I destroyed. 
You know, if you're walking, you know, we don't do this very often anymore, but used to, when you're having, you wanted to sell something particular in a store, you, you have these things in the front, mannequins all dressed. It's not as popular anymore. But they'd have them on display. Well, Jesus was displaying his authority and, and victory over sin and death. You know when that day came? When he walked out of the grave. I don't know any greater display than the day he walked out of the grave. Maybe the day he ascended to the throne. Between the two of them, there was no doubt in the mind of the apostles and should be no doubt in the mind of every Christian today that Jesus is ruler. He triumphed over them through Christ. It's interesting. We have a slight change here at the end. He says, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. Who? God the Father triumphed, making them a public display through Christ. Christ is ruler because He defeated the foes of God the Father. And because He is ruler, because He is on the throne, because He has paid the debt and circumcised our heart, guess what? We are complete in Him. And we don't have to be susceptible to the errors of this world. The problem is when we divorce ourselves from Christ, when we leave our first love, we open the door for error. So my question for us as we close, who are you in? Who is your prescription? Is it Christ? Because if it's not Christ, you will be eventually led astray. Christ must be everything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have victory in Christ. We have relationship with you. We are made complete in him. Lord, remind each of us today, tomorrow, every other day, Lord, that we, if we are found in you, will be made complete. Let us not turn astray and look for other ways, Lord, of finding completion. Let us not find it in our spouses, in our children, in, in our parents, in our work, our property, our, our wealth, our fame, our power. Let us find completion in Christ because I know, Lord, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, if we are complete in you, we will find victory and peace and joy. May we abide in the vine, Lord. Lord, create in us a hunger and thirst for your word and for your presence daily. 
And as that happens, Lord, I pray you would give us a, 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 an unstoppable desire to share the gospel with the lost. Lord, as we find greater and greater completion in Christ, I pray, Lord, we would long to see it in, a, in the lives of those we encounter every day who are lost and hopeless. Give us fearlessness in the midst of the temptation to shut our mouths. Help us, Lord, proclaim the gospel. Not because it's what we should do, but because we know its power and we desire it for our friends and the lost. Give us discernment, Lord. Help us to continually compare what we're hearing to your word to see if it is true. Guide us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen.